Welcome to the Strive for More podcast. My name is Jared Hendry and I'm the founder of the Strive Accelerator. We are a group of young entrepreneurs that you've probably never heard of and we figured out that a community of like-minded people is the only way to ensure we flourish in business, in our relationships, and in our lives. This podcast is dedicated to uncovering the stories of the communities around successful people that got them to where they are, and in the process, we'll break down barriers for you to succeed too. Becky Goble is an entrepreneur and a professional motorcyclist who studied business in Vancouver, BC, and has since moved to Los Angeles, California. Becky has worked for major motorcycle companies like Harley-Davidson, Ducati, and Triumph, and she's now been working freelance for six years. Becky runs the largest gathering of women on motorcycles in Canada, the second largest gathering of women on motorcycles in the world, and the biggest vintage motorcycle show in Canada. Becky writes for multiple different motorcycle magazines, rides motorcycles in TV shows, movies, and commercials. She creates and produces content creation campaigns for for major motorcycle-related brands, is a social media influencer, and she's a co-owner of a vodka soda company. Becky owns five motorcycles and is about to premiere her episode of AMC's Ride with Norman Reedus, where she is his main guest. In the episode, they travel to Uruguay to make an episode, and it airs globally on April 5th. Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Thanks, dude. Fuck (laughs) off, Jared. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you told me to say that. We joked about it earlier on, and, and I'm glad you went through with it. Um, <laughs> you know me so well already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Becky, you are an entrepreneur really in the true sense of the word. You've found your passion, motorcycles, and then you've found ways of creating a business around that passion. I, Like I said earlier on when we were um, chatting before this episode, I really admire your accomplishments and your your drive to create something in this world. And so with all of that said... And from your bio, knowing what you've accomplished professionally, I want to ask you a question about the people that helped to get you where you are today. And I think in society, we're so often told this story that successful people, successful business people are entrepreneurs, that they accomplish things by themselves. I think that there's this myth of like this powerful solo business owner. And I think it's important that we highlight the communities, the connections and the individuals that helped advance the careers of leaders in business so that success maybe doesn't seem so far off for maybe a younger generation. So with all of that said, I'm wondering, Becky, can you think of anybody early on in your entrepreneurial journey that really helped you move your career forward, even though maybe they didn't have to? Yeah, that's a good question. I think lots of people have the perception that, you know, us entrepreneurs that are killing it, so to say, or whatever, have a bunch of money or like are busy all the time and stuff. And like, it's all just, I don't know, kind of a facade. And like, I'm so open about just, you know, still paying rent, still just like struggling every day. And um, back in the day when I was just starting out, like the people that helped me out too, like they weren't necessarily making a ton of money or anything either, but they were taking me on to like do events together, do rides together, or just even like hang out with me. Um, I wanted to help out at this exhibition, this like photo exhibition where there was this woman photographer who shot photos of women that ride motorcycles. And I was like, 
let me help you just like sell your merchandise or something like that at your thing. So I just showed up there and helped her put her photos up and stuff. And later that day, she shot some photos of me and she called me the next day when she got back home and was like, would you want to put on an event with me at some point? And I was just like, yeah. And a couple months later, I was down in Portland at her house and we were coming up with the dream role, you know, and like we were just two young, early 20s kids that were just so happened to have Instagram followers pretty much. But she didn't really have to bring me on to do that. And now here we are. So yeah, I kind of am always when I get messages on Instagram of people being like, oh, how did you get into bikes? Or what should my first step be into like doing what you do? Like I always answer those people and always I'm there to back people because there's no reason of just like hoarding it all to yourself. Nowadays, it's a community. What was that person's name and, and how did you kind of realize that you wanted to connect with her in the first place? Um, yeah, she'll come up a lot in this because she's she's my number one business partner, Lana Killa McNaughton. She does the Women's Moto exhibit. Uh, she got into the social media thing right at the get-go and posting photos that she was taking of women that ride. And when I first started, even just on Instagram, I didn't even have an iPhone yet. You know, she was one of the first people I followed because I was like, dang, there's like a couple chicks out there that ride bikes and look good doing it. Like, that's cool. I didn't know there was other young women that rode. And I seriously still can name them all. There was only like five of them at the time. So yeah, uh, Instagram was way different back then. I'm so disappointed to hear that Instagram was different. Um, I think it's so much harder now to try and develop a following and, um, you know, maybe I'm, yeah, I I don't know, maybe I'm just naive, but it seems like connecting with people is harder. Like back in the day, like what you're talking about, there was five people that were doing what you wanted to be doing, but now I'm sure there's like a thousand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how would you like, what what do you tell those people that reach out to you and say, how do I get into motorcycles? Is there a new path that these people have to follow? Well, it depends what you're talking about, because if women just want to start riding motorcycles, I usually just tell them to like take a course and like try a bunch of bikes at the course that they can like figure out what's right for them. But if like these women are trying to get into doing what I do specifically, like, you know, the influencing and whatever they think I do, I think people have a weird perception of what they actually think I do. Um, you know, I'm kind of just like, I don't know, you know, like go out, go out and make contacts, like go to parties where there's going to be people there. Like it's networking. Like, you know, anybody that does business, it's the same thing. I just so happen to be about motorcycles instead of finance, you know? What would you recommend um, as far as networking? Like for you, you went to this show and then kind of sounds fortuitously that you came across the biggest name in the industry of, of female motorcycle riders. Like what would that look like now if, if you went out and, and tried to do it again? Um, it would be like almost impossible, you know, because there's so many people that are doing it and there's so many, I, I mean, that's a hard question because 
If you want to go out and network nowadays, you know, you just got to go to all those big events and like find the people who you see on Instagram. I think it actually is probably easier nowadays because you can actually search them all up on LinkedIn and Instagram and stuff. And like, that's kind of what I always did. Like first and foremost, I am a business person, even though like, you know, I make it look like I'm first and foremost a biker. Like I love business. And you know, when I'm out, at a party or whatever. And I see someone who I know is the editor for some magazine. Like I go and say hi. And I think it's still the same basics of networking that we learned in first year university, even if we took university 20 years ago. So the lesson that I'm hearing is that if other people want to follow in your footsteps, don't do it. It's impossible. Nobody can be you. Is that fair? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Like I just think, to go out and like do it themselves like dming people on instagram is not a thing anymore like you got to go to parties you got to go out and ride and you got to go out and do whatever it is that you do like if you want to be uh, i don't know like uh, any job that you want to do you just you have to go out and make yourself known you can't just be behind a computer screen all day and like you know put your personality out there Becky, I want to share something from a, a podcast that I did recently with a, a mutual friend of ours that actually kind of connected us um, after many years. And um, so Tate Hackard, he's the founder of a company called Zazoon. They're an HR tech company. Um, they're doing incredible things based out of Calgary in Canada. And they've raised $15 million recently uh, as a startup. And um, one really interesting thing that Tate told me during that podcast is that he realized really early on in university that he didn't have to go to class and he could still get by with like B minuses or C pluses. Mm -hmm. And so what he did in university and we went to university together and I never knew this, but he would, instead of going to class, he would book at least three coffees and three phone calls every single week with people that he wanted to network with, to connect with, to learn from. Um, and he did that for four years. So he went to like thousands of coffee meetings um, just to like learn about business and industries and maybe areas where he could make a difference. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like the coolest thing ever. And I feel like lots of those Canadian kids up there that are killing it do that stuff. And they like go out and speak to people and cold call, like even in university, when I took it, like my old fart of a professor was like cold call people like cold. What is cold calling? <laughs> Was an was the question on my like final exam, you know? And I still do that stuff every day. I send emails to brands that I know they're not going to respond, but at least you know, maybe later on when they see me doing something on a TV show or something, they'll be like, "Hey, that was that chick that emailed me," and they'll like look me up on their email history or something. You never know. Like, what's the harm? Give them a call. Go have a coffee. Everyone should call up Tate right now. Just be like, "Hey, man, you want to go get a coffee with me?" <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the lesson here is um, inundate Tate with phone calls and really <laughs> mess his life up. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I think you, you mentioned cold calling. Like in Canada, that's actually just called calling because it's so fucking cold up here. <laughs> Word. Yeah. Uh, so Becky, I want to transition a little bit. And we know where you're at currently, like based off your bio, we, we kind of know that you're a badass, that you've accomplished a whole lot. Um, I want to go back to your past and explore maybe how you got here, like what that trajectory was. So I'm wondering, maybe you can tell us who were the early inspirations in your life? I mean, the obvious answer is my parents. I think everybody says that. Um, my parents, though, 
got married when they were like 19 years old and then had me two years later and two more kids right after that. Um, and then they, I grew up in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> my literally. parents, literally, my parents bought a little old Chinese market where the old owner used actually died in it. And the whole grocery store was full of like all the meat and all the crap left over in there. Uh. And, um, they bought this building and completely renovated it. Literally my dad himself um, into a coffee shop, which was the only independent coffee shop in town. There was only, uh, Tim Hortons down on the other side of town. And that was it. And my mom's name is Shannon and they named it shenanigans. And I pretty <laughs> much like grew up going there and just like helping them kind of, I mean, I was like 13 years, maybe no, not even 13, like younger than that. But you know, I'd be around, I'd be like babysitting, getting babysat by like the coffee store help in the back room and stuff and just watching my parents hustle. And, um, by the end of that, my parents sold that, that business for like 20 times more than what they bought that building for and just absolutely nailed it. Um, which gave our family the power to be able to move to BC, which was like heaven to anybody that's from Saskatchewan, <laughs> you know, that was like the dream. So my parents were young, like 30 years old, maybe when we moved to BC and you know thinking about that now it's just like they were hustlers man they owned three houses where they just rented out to people and they never had any money like my dad only bought his first brand new vehicle like you know a couple of years ago so there that's that's probably where I get it from my grandpa started the Dairy Queen chain in Southern California like back in the day with nothing like they're just doing stuff because they were bored and things were kind of easier to do back then, maybe. And they just all figured it out and made it work. And like, that's what I'm just doing every day is just figuring it out and making it work and not getting bored. A couple of thoughts there. The first is, isn't it embarrassing that your parents at 30 had like three houses and we're still paying rent? <laughs> I, I uh, hope that well, things are just harder. <laughs> no, no, they they own the houses and people were paying rent on the houses to like make money for them. And then they like flipped houses. I mean, like a house in Saskatchewan back in the day was like 30 grand and they like, you know, paid like whatever mortgage on it. I think lots of them were doing that shit at the time. And I don't have a house and I live in a 500 square foot apartment. Oh, so. oh, oh I gosh. feel it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my parents' 30th birthday party. Like, that's sad. I'm going to be 30 in like two years. With no kids. No kids to remember your birthday. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, the, the second thing I wanted to ask was your grandfather, like starting Dairy Queens, that's a badass thing to do. Did you, did you take any lessons away from him? I mean, I think I was super young when he was doing that. Um, and I think I never even really realized what they were doing. I never realized that it would be so hard to do things in other country either. Like, I mean, obviously I'm learning that all now. So I respect them more now actually than I did back then because I'm like, dang, that must've been insane. And like, why did, you know, I'm asking all the questions now. Um, but I do think that it's relevant because I just kind of think that I have it inside me, you know, and there's lots of people that you can just tell they like have this like drive in this business kind of like mentality inside them. And there's lots of people that don't. And like, that's totally fine. That's like what makes our world go around. So I don't know, like not saying everybody needs to have a family that 
that was entrepreneurs or anything, but I definitely do think I have something inside me that makes me keep going and wanting to do this or else I would have gave up a long fucking time ago. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, being a business owner is a really hard thing to do. And I think often if we kind of knew how hard it was going to be, I bet a lot of us probably wouldn't have started out on that path. And I know myself, um, like I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. So uh, owning a business and, and trying to start a business is a very foreign thing. And and I do think that just like you said, that people that maybe come from kind of a, an entrepreneurship background have a bit of an easier go. They, they're more ready to like commit themselves to it. Yeah. Becky, what kind of insights did you have in your teenage years, you know, high school, middle school that maybe contributed to where you are now? Well, I dropped out of high school in grade 11 because I just wanted to be a professional snowboarder so bad. I I was really good at snowboarding and I was like sponsored by some brands and stuff, but you know, I was 16 years old. So I just was like engulfed in this idea of being a professional snowboarder and I dropped out of high school and my mom and dad said, like, you can't move to Whistler unless you save up a certain amount of money and you are done grade 12. So I signed up for online schooling where you like homeschool yourself. And I started working at a Starbucks. And um, I also was a cashier at a grocery store. And by the time all of my friends, the day that all my friends went to grade 12, I had saved up that amount of money. And I had graduated grade 12 (laughs) the day I was supposed to start grade 12. And (laughs) I don't think, I think I was like just 17 years old and my mom and dad were like, damn, well, bye. I had bought myself a car. I had found a place to live in Whistler. Um, and I got in my car and I left. (laughs) So I think like my parents giving me those rules and stuff and like, You know, once I got there, I I definitely was shocked, you know, like having to pay rent and like having to find a job and like, you know, everything in life in Whistler was expensive and, but I wanted it so bad. And I think that's kind of like, has continued my life this far. Like, don't give up. Don't, you know, if I would have given up and came back to Comox to where my parents live, they would have been like you failed, you know, like you thought you could do it and you couldn't like, and so I just forever was like, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to like show them and make them proud and do it. And I did so far. Do you think that your parents gave you those like stipulations because they kind of thought, well, she's never going to actually save that much money. She'll never be able to do it. No, no. They just said, if you can do this, then you've got our blessing. I think they knew that if I did it, that meant I really wanted to go, you know, because if they would have just given me that amount of money and said, yeah, sure, leave, like maybe I would have gone and just been a drug addict or something like, you know, <laughs> I I wanted it that bad. And I, I did. I went through with it like the whole time in like a really good way. So I think that was my parents were good, even though they were young. They they nailed it. Shout out, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> dedications. We've got dedications on this podcast. So. Um, mom and dad at shenanigans shannon shannon and mark um how did that journey go for you on the snowboarding path i was i did pretty good there um i worked at like just a little snowboard shop and then um throughout the summer i'd actually go up to the northwest territories to a mine camp where i was one of two women in a secluded camp of 180 men 
and I would just oh, cook no. and clean up there and work for long hours so that I could like snowboard all winter and like not really work. So I was like hustling back then. <laughs> and um, I actually ended up getting really hurt snowboarding, like almost dying. Uh, Whoa, I like what happened. Um, well, I broke my arm in half twice and then I crushed my spleen and internally bled so bad that I was in the hospital for like a week and a half. And then Whoa. I, and before that I had broke my ankle and all this, like I was just young and going insane and going crazy and all this, like, and so I went, got super depressed. I thought, you know, like my whole life is over. Like everything that I thought I was going to be is over. Like, this is my dream. If I don't have this, I have nothing. You know, like everything I've said so far is like, get get it or you're suck. You know, that's my whole life. So uh, that's when I kind of was like, well, I might as well go to university. You know, I might as well go to school. I have nothing else to do. So I did. I just moved to Vancouver, lived in a shitty basement suite, and just started going to school and was like way depressed for a long time because I didn't know what I was doing which is the reason why a lot of kids go into business school because they don't really know what they want to do. And mm -hmm. that's where working at Red Bull kind of came in. So was it the injury itself that led you to realize snowboarding probably isn't my path? Yeah, I mean, I had no choice like to, to stop or not. And honestly, like now I'm just like glad that all of that happened because lots of those kids in Whistler just get stuck there like on this dream of just like snowboarding every day and stuff and like... I don't know if I would have ever been like that, but I'm not about being a snowboard bum anymore. That's for sure. And I do think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I remember that one of your friends was a girl named Cassie Sharp, who's gone on to, I think, win a gold medal in the Olympics just, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. So it, like, the dream yeah. is possible. Oh, for sure. I was just never that good. I think I was not good <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie's killing it. Shout out Cassie. Do her next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Cassie, it's coming for you. So you, you mentioned that you worked for Red Bull. Um, but then you did make a change over to entrepreneurship. Like, what was that junction point for you? To be honest, it was because I pretty much like, did not like working in the office. I just felt like I didn't I was a Red Bull wings girl. So I like gave out free Red Bull cans while I was in university, which was like the best job ever. Everyone laughs when they like picture me doing that job, but I love that job. Like Red Bull has such a cool program set up for like young, young people in university to like make friends and go to events and like get paid for it. And it's like, it is marketing and they teach you it from like the bottom up. And that's actually why I transitioned into business. Um, at, at one point I actually started going to university to do a, uh, like kind of, I thought I was maybe going to do like English literature because I like write, writing, but it was that entry level Red Bull job that kind of made me be like, you know what, I'll do business, more generic. And then from there, I got an internship at Red Bull where that made me move to Toronto and do an internship that was um, athlete sport and event marketing. That's what I, that's the department that I got my internship under. And it was the most sought after internship at the time. Everybody wanted to get it. And I was actually the first female ever in Canada to work in that department. Um, but I felt it hard being, you know, a young girl. And I was like kind of sassy a little bit and kind of like, you know, felt like 
I don't know. I just thought I would be able to like go in there and like just be myself and have my ideas and stuff. But like, it's hard being a chick in a man based industry. I learned that every single day, but back then I learned it hard. You know, all of our athletes were men and like, I don't know. There was just things where, and then if you say something, you try to stick up for yourself, you get in trouble. Like I got in trouble working at that company. I got written up like, you're supposed to get fired after three times. I think I got written up five times. <laughs> wow. Because you were sticking up for what you believed to be right or the injustices that you saw? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And like, <laughs> I, you know, I just, there were just things where it just felt like everybody's just like abiding by a code and like everybody's just so on brand. And like, I think what I learned from that experience is that you just got to fit in somewhere and not everybody fits into a certain realm like even though this is the company you think you want to work for forever and like you love it like sometimes your personality just doesn't fit there so how did you transition out of red bull and into owning a business like what was that step for you so when i went back to vancouver after red bull i was still in university um and that's kind of when social media started more and more like specifically instagram and I already had been riding my scooter, my shitty little motorcycle to work all the time or to school all the time. Um, and one day I just posted some photos of me riding my motorcycle on Instagram. Like this is even before I had followed any girls who rode on, on Instagram. Like I literally just like posted me riding a bike kind of with my hair blowing, going over the bridge that one of my photographer friends took. And I got like 7,000 Instagram followers in a day. Like that shit doesn't wow. happen anymore. You know, I, yeah, my phone died in class and was like going crazy. And I went home early and plugged it in and was just like, whoa. And honestly, that day I'll never forget because, you know, I'm a business kid already. I'm like, how can I make money off of this? And I started posting more and it's <laughs> literally now has just grown from there. But I got a job with actually Lana again. She had a bunch of brands that hit her up and that she hit up. And she was like, I want to do this trip to Europe. That's going to be sponsored by all these brands. Like, do you want to come? Just I'll pay for the trip. I just want to take photos of you. And I was like, this is the first time I had ever heard of someone doing something like this. And I was just like, cool. So, so we you had said no. to, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I got to go to class. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I skipped right out of school and was in Europe for a month riding motorcycles with, there was four of us. And that trip was sponsored by Husqvarna, by Converse, by Levi's. And from there, you know, my Instagram following went crazy. I had all this cool content to post. And from there, we just started doing trips and started doing content stuff and like, pitching the brands and we each got sponsored on our own with other stuff. And I never had to get a job anymore. Like I pretty much just did. Looking back five or 10 years ago, like I don't think content and the importance of producing content and being a curator of content, it didn't seem as important or there wasn't like this knowledge. I don't think about where the world was going on social media and, and what brands were going to be doing with that content. So do you remember at that time when you kind of, you got those 7,000 followers, 
you kind of had like a bit of a light bulb moment where you're like, well, maybe this is like an avenue to pursue. Do you remember, like, were you thinking, geez, content creation here, this is the future? Mm, I more was thinking like, I should make a brand or I should make something I can sell. But I kind of did, you know, which was the content thing. So, but I don't think that there was like a a light that went on that was like, I'm going to start taking photos or like getting people to take photos. It kind of evolved for sure. Um, At that point, I was more like, I'm going to try and get as many followers as I can. So in turn, we did just start making content, but I wasn't really thinking like, oh, that the content itself is going to make me money. I was thinking more like, I'm going to start a clothing brand or something. So at that point of you get those 7,000 followers and then that kind of epiphany moment happens where you think maybe this is a path to pursue. Did you think at that time, were you thinking to yourself like, yes, I've got this in the bag. This is, this path is going to lead to success. Or did you have uncertainty around that? No, point? no, I, none of us knew what was going on with social media. <laughs> like all the other chicks that were doing what I was doing, you know, the other, like what I was saying before, like four or five, they, none of us were making money or anything. We were just like the chicks that rode motorcycles on the internet. So yeah. What was your question again? It was just, were you sure of success? No, I mean, I'm sure I'm not sure of success (laughs) even now. (laughs) There's some days where I'm like, I just watched the episode of myself on the AMC, like ride with Norman Reedus. And I'm literally eating a bowl of macaroni and cheese and it's like falling onto my shirt. And I'm just like, so when do I like, get like rich and famous like so when am i successful when do i not eat craft dinner and get to upgrade to like annie's <laughs> for yeah. real dude i don't even have a washer dryer i gotta go to the laundromat like what the hell wow that is so very american of you right i want to circle back a bit to how this all started for you like motorcycles in general has this always been a passion or an interest of yours or is is this something that's just kind of developed recently oh okay um so my my passion for motorcycles like came from just always wanting to drive stuff like when I grew up in Saskatchewan I always just wanted to like drive anything the tractor the the grass cutter that my dad's driving around in the front yard like I learned how to drive a manual car in this car that had no back end on it. It was just a car that you could rip around in the fields. I remember being like so small, just sitting on my dad's lap, driving his truck around in the yard. Like my, I had my own like shitty ass snowmobile when I was a kid that I crashed so hard. (laughs) I can remember flying through the air to this day. Like I think I just, my dad rides a Harley. My mom has a motorcycle. My grandma rode my grandpa still to this day rides like 20,000 kilometers every summer. He literally was riding wow. yesterday. My grand, my other grandpa rode. Um, yeah. My family is just like, they, they are just love driving, riding things. And like, that's another thing that I do think is internal for me. Like I just want to drive stuff. Like the day I turned 16 in sketch when I was just like, I got my driver's license, you know, like, so there's two things that are inherent in your DNA, business and motorcycles. And so you were just the first one in your family to be like, I should put these two together. <laughs> it just happened. I don't know. What does that there's say no... about your past generations? Um, that they're badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
did you, did you have a moment when you thought that your work around motorcycles could be like a career? Yeah, I mean, mostly through Instagram, I think. Yeah, it was, it's social media that made me kind of be like, I could do this. And then dream roll our first year, like we never really made money, but people were coming out like 350 women came to our event that we did. And then after that, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it without a partner. Um, so I put on my own event up in Canada that was totally different. It was a loser palooza, like this vintage chopper show. I did it all on my own, just with the help of like a couple of my friends that did like the hard lifting stuff. And that generated a bunch of income. And then I started doing uh, background work for in, in TV shows. Uh, I just kind of went on the internet one day and I was like, you know, I'm like a small chick that rides motorcycles. I probably could like double for an actress who they need to like ride bikes or something. So I just hit up a bunch of agencies and was like, uh, would you ever need someone like me? And sure enough, I was like working on set like twice a week, um, doing motorcycle stuff or even just having my bike on set and stuff. Uh, I'm, I was a continuity character on that TV show Riverdale from season, from episode one, season one till the end of season three, until I moved to LA, my bike's like all over that show. And like, you know, that just, I met tons of people on set that I still am friends with in LA to this day. Like, yeah. You brought up something called dream roll and that hosts like, I think 800 female motorcyclists for a weekend where you ride, you, you bring in DJs, there's partying, there's swimming, there's hanging out. It sounds incredible. Um, can you talk about how you started that? Like why even start that? So I started with Lana. Um, we just used Instagram to kind of sell tickets using ticket tailor and made it a website. Uh, and then we, just wanted to provide like a place for women to go that ride motorcycles. And the first year we had 350 women come out. Um, we had DJs, tattoo artists, um, all these group rides that we pre-planned. It was camping. Uh, there was even lodging there on that venue. It was just in the middle of nowhere. We found just this lodge that, that housed us for the weekend. And then after that, we just decided to have it every year and it's grown a lot. Like, We've had, although there's only like 800 to a thousand women that come every year, like our media that covers the event is massive. Like Broadly was there, Vice was there. We've had um, uh, like huge news outlets come there, huge sponsorships, like massive support from companies in the industry, massive names come out there, like lots of celebrities that just want to like support women in the motorcycle industry. And that's our main thing is to just like support women who ride, have something for them to go do and show women that like other women can go out and like have fun together and just like ride bikes and do whatever the hell they want for a weekend. So yeah, that's pretty much what the dream role is kind of all about. And how did you come to realize that you wanted to impact women? Mm, that's a good question. I think, you know, my experience working in those offices and stuff right after university kind of being like, I don't really fit in here. Why don't I fit in? Oh, I keep getting told I have a bad attitude. There's probably other people, 
other people out there that are like me and like in the motorcycle industry, I did meet a lot of other women that were like sassy like me who other people thought they were bitches, but they were successful in their own realm. And I think this is where I just found my people. Like this is where I found like that where I could be strong. And there were other women around me that were stronger than me and like more opinionated than me. And I could just be myself and other people supported me for it. You know, like in the snowboard industry, it was tough too. You're always just like, not as good as the guys, like not as cool as the guys, not able to hang out with the dudes after riding, like in the motorcycle world, like there's no like keeping up or anything. Like I have a cooler bike than half of the dudes I know, you know, I ride harder than most of the dudes I know. And I get respect from that because I'm literally doing it more than you. So there's no competition. It's like the dream role kind of embodies all of that. You know, it's like, we are all the badasses coming together and just like being able to be ourselves together. And it's needed in this day and age for sure. I think there's so much value in coming together as a group, whether it's women or men or motorcycle enthusiasts or business owners or whatever that is. And just like you said, finding your tribe. And I I think that if I could go back to the beginning of this, my own kind of entrepreneurship journey, like what I would have told myself at the beginning is like, I, I always tried to start like these little businesses and they never went anywhere. But I think if I, I would have known the value of a tribe, like try and find the people in the world that are interested in the same things that you're interested in. And it sounds so, I think, lame when you say it out loud, probably cliche, but I think that there really is so much value in creating this space like you've done, Becky, for people that have these shared interests, women that that are interested in motorcycles. It doesn't just become about the motorcycles, right? Like it's it's about friendship and camaraderie and building relationships and, and sharing other interests in general as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it goes that way for like a lot of things in life, like your relationships with your friends, your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, like, I don't know, but the, the women's motorcycle community definitely needs some support. And I think it still does. Like there's lots of brands that say no to me that I'm just like, you'll see, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Just wait. Just so wait. what's your vision? What's your vision moving forward with, with dream roll? Uh, dream roll is like, it's not my main thing that I do. It's like one of my favorite things I do, but it's mostly just grow it, find a venue that's stable that we can like stay at for a couple of years. We kind of move around all the time. Um, just have more and more women come out every year. And it's kind of just, that's it. Like the dream roll is what it is. We put it on mostly because we want to like support women. We're not making bank on it. So Basically, I just want to keep doing it and be able to keep doing it and then be able to afford the rest of my life, you know? So basically continuing to do it is the goal. <laughs> and so you you have this really big success with the dream role and then you transition over, like you've already mentioned, to creating your own thing called Loser Palooza. And, and at that one, it's in Vancouver, BC, and you combine motorcycles and art and photography. And I think it's the largest such event in Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of its kind. Yeah. So why, why start a second one? What was the kind of impetus for that? Um, well, my partner at the dream Roll, she kind of is like, she's crazy and she's just like, go get her. And she's really like, does all the logistical stuff for dream Roll. I do a lot of like the marketing and the consume and like the customer care. And 
I always just kind of felt like, man, to do it all would be like, I want to, I, there was something she was doing. I didn't even know how she's doing it. I still don't. So I just wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could do it on my own. And, uh, I kind of had a space fall into my lap at the time, like a venue. And it just was, you know, I had the ambition. I had some money saved up. Um, I knew all of the people in the city that were building cool bikes and, I had a beer sponsor that was like, we'll give you 500 beers. Oh, we'll give you a thousand beers. And I was just like, damn, like, why not <laughs> <Personally>? do it? <laughs> yeah. Like for the, yeah, for the event, they just like hooked it up. So I'm, you know, do the math. It was. So it's it was like great. 500 for me, 500 for the event. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. I still have beers from my, all my events. Like every I'm always stocked with beers. If you ever, y'all never need apocalypse help. I got the beers. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're not going to go there. Not going there. No. Um, your, your process for creating content. Like I know that's a big focus for you and you, you've written for and produced content for pretty much all the major brands in the motorcycle world, like Harley Davidson and Triumph and Ducati, et cetera. So I think those of us that create content, it's, um, a really kind of time-consuming process, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. So I'm interested to know about your process for creating content. Like, what does that look like? Does it just kind of come and go? Do you sit down every morning? What does that look like? Uh, well, it depends because I'm personally not a photographer either, um, but I create content for magazines. So I'll go on a trip and I'll create like, sometimes I don't even have to take photos. Sometimes I'll hire a photographer to do it. Sometimes I'll take the photos myself, but that's like, for me, very difficult because I'm just don't really like taking photos. Um, but then when I, magazines are kind of like, they're easy. Like you kind of just do that. Um, but then when I like create campaigns, like, so for example, I created a campaign that was bought in to by Harley and by, um, a phone case company last year. And I called it the San Felipe project. And all I did was create a deck that was like, this is the people, these are the influencers that are coming, which is all just like my cool looking friends on Instagram that have lots of followers. Uh, this is where we're going. The city in Mexico is super cool. Um, this is like the Airbnb we're staying at. It looks really rad. Uh, and then these are your sponsorship packages. If you buy into our, into our, uh, project or whatever. And then once I, I hit up all my contacts and like some of them wanted to be involved, wanted to have like photos of women on, or we, it wasn't even women. It was men and men and women. And they were just like, yeah, we want photos. And some, some brands are like, well, we have a whole new lookbook coming out. Like we want, we want you to shoot all of our lookbook or there's some that are just like, Oh, we just want you to wear our stuff in those other brands fo photos. Um, so every brand you work with is different. And then I hire my photographer, I hire the influencers and pretty much all I do throughout the whole time is like pay for the meals, make sure people get around, like make sure we get the shots and then I kind of will like model in it because I'm like an influencer myself, but yeah, that's it. Is that enjoyable? Yeah. Because it's like, same with events, you know, you like put stuff, you start behind your computer and you kind of build something and get excited about it and you see it kind of come to life. And then when you're actually there and it's happening and you're like making money and people think what you're doing is cool and brands support you, you're like, hell yeah. Like that's, you need that like 
you need that or you need a bunch to make a bunch of money or you need some gratification or something because that's what keeps you going for sure. How do you come up with those ideas specifically? Like you mentioned that you would get these people together and then you would do some kind of like filming and, and, and take photos and, and like, I understand the logistics piece, but the creative piece of actually coming up with those ideas, do you just write them down on a, a whiteboard or do you bounce ideas off somebody else? What does that actually look like? No, they're just like, they're just to me obvious. Like it's to me, what's missing in the world is like these, what I think is going to happen is this is going to be the new thing. And these, these brands in their office, they're like, what is something cool that we should do? Oh, <laughs> fuck, I don't fucking know. You know why? It's because none of them are cool. None of them know what's cool. None of them knows what's going to look cool. None of them know any cool people, but they want to do something that's cool, you know? So they have to hire someone who is cool and knows cool shit and what's going to look cool. And like, to me, I, every day in my life, I'm looking around and I'm like, fuck, my friend looks fucking cool riding beside me. Like if she had a pair of Converse on right now and I took a picture of it, I could sell that shit to Converse. And like, that, that's just they're going to start hiring people who are business people that have good style. And it's like, really, we're just like, I don't know. To me, it's just so easy, but in those offices, it's not so easy. It's like, this is going to be the next thing. And if they do this shit in house, right? Like they got to hire the photographer. They got to hire a stylist. They have to hire all these, all these influencers and stuff. That shit costs a lot of money. And the amount of money that I offer those companies to do these, these campaigns is like a fraction of that. So for them, it's a no brainer. I think like, just let us go and we'll do, do it for you and just give it all to you. And we're going to promote it on our social media. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense why they would try to do that in house. And you mentioned, <laughs> I think that um, like, it's all about like looking cool and, and um, trying to find cool things out in the real world. And so what I've realized through that discussion is that I am screwed because I have never done anything cool or looked cool in my entire life. So I'm not going to thrive in this world. <laughs> I am talking very specifically to my genre, but in every single other industry, there's the same thing. You know, and a lot of the people that get written up all the time at these offices and don't fit in, right? Those are actually the people that you probably want to work with, but it just in a different way. And there's a lot of those people that exist that can do it, but like are lost. It's creative people. So, it's like business and creative. It doesn't really like mix. Like you got to like, that's why everyone outsources and offices and like hires creative teams and the different branding people, like, cause they, everyone's different. So if you're listening to this and you're somebody that's gotten written up a lot at work, go out on your own and try something new, I think is the message I'm hearing. Follow yeah, Becky's like, shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I, you can't be happy unless you're doing what you love, you know? And I feel like if you're forcing it at work and you're feeling unhappy all the time, like it's not, it's, you, won't, you won't be successful. So I'm interested to know about your, the first kind of content that you put out there that got picked up by Harley Davidson or one of the, kind of those major brands. How did you get that first business? Because I feel like that is so hard for somebody looking from the outside the first loser palooza, there was a guy there taking photos that I had never seen before. And he, I, I asked him like, who are you? And he said he was a photographer an editor of a magazine. And I was like, Oh, I'm a writer. Um, 
like I, I would love to write for a motorcycle magazine. I got lots of friends that look cool and have awesome bikes that I would could feature lots of trips we do and stuff. And he was just like, yup, <laughs> you are my new writer. And I like, he never even asked for any, any writing or anything for me. It's, honestly, I wasn't a writer. Like I lied for sure to that dude. Um, <laughs> I've always loved writing, but I totally lied. And then he let me write articles for his magazine to this day. That dude has sent me to Texas, to Japan. I've been on the cover of his magazine, like just such a good contact. And from there, you know, I started being able to post online that I was a writer. And then I got hit up by Hog Magazine, which is Harley Owners Group. A har- It's basically a flyer for Harley Davidson. You can only get it if you're a member of their um, like membership, Harley Davidson membership. Um or you own a brand new Harley. So they have this whole magazine around it. And yeah, I pretty much just started writing for them just because they had seen on social media that I'm doing it. And then through that magazine, it's all over the world on the shelves of every Harley dealership in the world. And that kind of got my name out there more. And I think it just kind of evolves and social media ties it all together, making it known that I write, that I take photos, that I travel, that I ride a certain style of motorcycle. And now you know, I do Harley shoots all the time and I like have contacts there that help me out any place in the whole world. I want to fly to, I can land and Harley will just be like, here's a motorcycle for you to ride. Just post it on Instagram. Like they're a good company. So what can we learn from you? Like you spoke about how you got your first publication. Like what can we take from that? You know, even I've said in interviews before, the dream role is to influence women to ride, but it's also to influence people to realize that there's so many things that they think they can't do. They can do. And whether it's learn how to skateboard or break up with your shitty ass husband or like get, (laughs) get over cancer or anything like you think you can't do it, but you can. And like, I'm just some small ass little skinny ass chick that has no muscle and is from Saskatchewan, like, and I can ride a, the biggest Harley that they make and I can rip it. Like, you know, I never thought I could do that. And I, I'm not saying like, Oh, every woman can ride a Harley. It's like, no, every woman can do something that they thought they couldn't do. So I think through this podcast, I do like want everything that I'm saying, just take it your own way. Don't be like, I got to go buy a Harley now. It's like, (laughs) Yeah, but if it. you did want to buy a Harley, that would be great for you. <laughs> yeah, Harley. I don't, I'm not like sponsored by them. I'm just like oh. riding. I was going to say, you have an affiliate link. So if they want to follow that, they could do that. You can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> um, you eventually appeared on TV. Like you mentioned, you've been to Riverdale. Like you, you were on the Riverdale show and, and um, you've got a new episode um, coming out on April 5th with, uh, with Norman Reedus. So what was that transition like for you into film? I think it was pretty natural. Like I've, I'm not shy. I, at Dreamroll, I am always the one that's like on the microphone and I'm super just like honest and out there. I don't really care like what people, what I look like or the shit I say, like whatever. So the film thing was, I just wanted to make more money with motorcycles and that's why I kind of like got an agent and was like I'll do anything in the in the industry that is motorcycle related 
And um, yeah, I don't know. Like the film industry is kind of weird. Everyone's just like weird. Like LA is fucking weird. <laughs> Everyone's just weird as fuck. But like, as long as there is motorcycle related, I like, I like it. Um, I want to circle back to Dreamworld just for a bit. You kind of mentioned that women have been inspired to to do some cool things, like to you know maybe end a relationship that that wasn't positive or they they beat cancer and and through in part because of the the inspiration that came from dream role were there any kind of really inspiring stories that have stuck with you through the dream role process yeah there's this one woman that's come to dream role every year um she witnessed my first ever time leading a group of almost a hundred women from the first, from Portland to our venue. So it was like a two hour ride. And I rode into the venue leading almost a hundred women. And my dad helps out with dream roll every year. He actually hides in the bushes because he's like not allowed to be there, but he's our security guard (laughs) and helps us out anytime something goes wrong. And there was this woman who was in the back of the pack and she witnessed my dad in the bushes with tears in his eyes because my dad was just like, you know, obviously proud motorcycle riding dad. And she just parked her bike and came over to him and hugged him. And she said something like sentimental about something that had happened with her family and her dad. And they had like a whole moment. And I thought that was so cool. And she's come to dream roll every year in this past dream roll. I had been following her on Facebook and she had a breast cancer. And I think she actually had her breast remove removed or something don't want to talk too much about that because I'm not totally sure. And she was posting on Facebook all the time. Like, I want to get to dream roll. I still want to ride. The doctors are telling me not to go. And as soon as we opened the gates at dream roll, which is far from where she lived, like 10 hours, 12 hours of riding. She was one of the first people to roll through the gate. And (laughs) when we saw each other, I just was like, just started bawling. I'm just like, it's just such a, it's just such a, it's bigger than just like an event, you know, it's something more than that. And like, you can't really explain it unless you go there. I think that's a perfect story to highlight the impact that it has on people. Um, Finding that community where people feel like I can be myself and, and these are my people. Um, So I really commend you for creating that. Cool, I want to thanks. just end off here with social media before we kind of turn to you as a person. Um, like we kind of talked about earlier, social media is changing so much. Um, and, and you've obviously, like for our listeners that maybe don't know, I think just on Instagram alone, you've got across your platform something like 50,000 followers or something. So when you say you're an influencer, like you're an influencer. Um, I want to know, what have you learned uh, about social media through that process? Um, so... I think Instagram is very simple. Like people just scroll and they, they want to see things easily. Like I think what I've learned through Instagram is that it has to be easily understandable, understandable for you to post and understand what it means for other people to see what you're posting and just be able to see it quickly, understand what that post is and like it. And same for brands. They want their things to just be easily understandable like does that make sense I feel like when things get too complicated it it loses its meaning um it's such like a simple platform and like 
people don't like reading that much on it. And I just find that I'm more successful, the more, more simple that I put it. And people look at my page and it's like a girl that rides motorcycles, you know? And like, just like what you learn in university, like you have your target market and your mission statement. And it's just as simple as that. And yeah, I don't know. Instagram is weird. There's so much to talk about if you want to like dive into it. I've learned a lot through it. Like the algorithms are weird. I've learned a lot about that. I've learned like brands need to choose the right influencers that make sense for them. I've got in trouble on it on Instagram a lot. Like you got to make sure you like always doing things right. Don't say the wrong things. Brands don't want to work with certain people. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's simple, but it's not. What do you mean that brands don't want to work with certain people? I mean, if you're, if you're a company and you're looking for someone to represent your brand, you have to go to the people that it makes sense and that people understand why this influencer is representing your stuff. It all goes full circle into like your target market and making it easy for people to understand. I feel like if a brand uses me to market their brand, they want my personality to kind of be like what their target market is. For instance, this whiskey company hired me to do a job a couple months ago. And I was like, okay, you realize what you're doing here, right? Like if you want me to market your brand, I'm going to do it where there's going to be a lot of eyes on it, but there's going to be swear words involved. There's going to be some like craziness involved because they wanted me to do it like with this event and all this. And sure enough, I made this post on Instagram where it was the bottle of whiskey laid down on the floor, kind of like a a photo of like my bag, what I was packing for this trip next to a tampon, a dildo, an avocado, my car keys, my sunglasses and all the things I was bringing. And this, it was like this massive dildo, this massive purple dildo. And I I have, I have never had more interaction or more likes on social media ever. It's my all time most liked photo. And <laughs> that company was like, I saw them later in the day and they were like, but, uh, but yes, good job. You know? And I feel like that's an example of you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And they got a ton of publicity from that, but it's in a certain way. You know, you only hire one of those beauty influencers, like the hot makeup chicks, if you're doing like that type of thing. What have you learned about the algorithm itself? So I think how it works is when you post a photo, if all of the people that are like your closest followers like that photo, so like your friends, your most interacting like followers, that's who gets to see that photo first. Um... And then if they interact with the photo, if they comment on it and like it, then it will go to like the masses and your other followers. And potentially then if all of they like it, then it goes to the explore page. So something I always do is just ask my friends and my family and like the people that are closest to me to like my photo all the time and comment, even if it's just an emoji or something, because that's I either get 400 400 likes on a photo or I get like 3000 there's no in between. So it's obviously pushing out that content that it deems to be valuable to a, a much, much wider audience. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure right now, I mean, the algorithm is changing all the time, but I think that's what what is working right now. So 
I post at a time that I know my friends and family are going to be on Instagram, et cetera. Smart. Becky, you've also started, um, or you're a co-owner, I should say, in Wise Vodka Soda. Um, like I, I've checked out, obviously, your webpage and your Instagram and stuff. It looks incredible. Like you've done some really great things. It's flavored um, vodka sodas that are obviously a huge rage right now. So can you talk to us about something that you've learned through that process, which is obviously very much outside of uh, your current work with motorcycles? Yeah, yeah. Um my buddy Eugene Park started that company and he's just like a young entrepreneur. You should actually talk to him because he's he's funny. He he's just like go-getter, but is so not confident. Like he's just like, I think I got this. Oh my god, I think I got this. But he totally has got it. He's just <laughs> like <laughs> he's so rad. And he started this company up that's um doing pretty good and he's got some really good influencers and um, he actually hit me up to be an influencer, but then, uh, I was kind of like, can I invest? And he was like, yeah. So our other investors are like Felix Cartal, who's one of Canada's biggest DJs, if not like the biggest wow. DJ from Canada. And then he also has, um, professional photographers involved in it that are like, you know, have big followings. He has lights who is like wow. one of Canada's biggest singers. She's an investor. And um, it's kind of just like a network of cool Canadian people um, that are doing stuff and they all contribute to everything, like whether it's just posting on social media or what flavors come out. Like when we do our testings, it's like lots of cool people are there. And if, you know, lights, likes, passion fruit, lime, ginger flavored, whatever the hell it is, you know, like usually the rest of Canada will want it too. So it's kind of like a cool, I don't know. It's like an experiment, but also like going pretty good. Like who doesn't want to drink vodka soda? So yeah. Yeah. I'm not a vodka soda fan. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a dumb joke and it did not come across, but um... <laughs> I don't give a shit. Drink whatever you want. You don't yeah. have to <laughs> Um, so before we turn to you as a person, I just have a couple of rapid fire questions that we'll, we'll get through real quick here. So if you only had two hours a week to focus on your businesses, everything that you do, motorcycles in general, what would you focus on? Instagram, networking, and reaching out to brands, keeping, keeping in contact with brands, maintaining relationships. Who have been the most impactful people in your life? Um, probably my friends and just people who influence me, um, people who I think are doing cool stuff, not just women, like men too. And I honestly feel like everybody who I see that I like think is doing something cool. Like I take a little piece of that and I incorporate it into the way that I do things. And I always say like, nothing I do is original. Like nothing that anybody does is original. Like everything is fabricated taken from all these different influences and created into like what you see as what you want to do. I have totally done that. And I totally admit that. And I think that a lot of other people should be aware of where their influences come to, because you know, that's, that's life nowadays. Everything's been done. So just take what you want from other things and yeah, be open to influence for sure. Just combine a bunch of different shit together and call it new. Exactly. That's what that's what everybody does, man. 
rappers, singers, <laughs> like they're all, it's all been done, man. And it's just a circle of like trends. Except for Half Moon Run. I, I had Connor Melander from Half Moon Run on the podcast. They're actually the only band that's doing new things. Just to give props to a fellow Comoxer. Go Comox. Uh, looking back at yourself, <laughs> exiting university, what would you tell yourself? To just keep going and keep like, keep, keep it up and go day by day. Like don't take anything so seriously. I was always so stressed out. Like I still am. And I'm going to tell myself in 10 years, like, don't be so stressed (laughs) out. It's just, it's just like the way I am. And it's the way that a lot of people are. It's it's the way that a lot of business people are. And that's why we are successful, you know? Um, Also university, like, not everything that a professor says is relevant to you. Like now, if you think of all of those people that you were sitting beside in, cl- in class, think of all of the different things that they do now. Like so different. Everyone is so different and successful in their own way. And I do think I took lots of things too literally, thinking that I was like going in the wrong direction or anything. And I think just have an open mind. Everyone is different. No one that you hang out with in university is your competition. Like I wish in university that I would have made more friends. I think everyone thought I was a bitch because I like didn't really want to be there. And I thought everyone was younger than me and stupid and blah, blah, blah. I definitely have had a bad attitude in my life with a lot of things, which is why I'm also successful in my own realm. But (laughs) (laughs) make friends with people, you know, and like listen to people because those kids were smart, man. Like I still to this day think about a lot of those kids that I went to school with and yeah, wish I was still in contact with them. I think it says a lot about a person, what their, um, you know, what their actions are. And, and I think that one way to assess that is through like, what are your open browser tabs right now? So I'm going to turn that question to you and what do you have open on your browser right now? I have the weather network because I can't ride motorcycles when it's raining. I have Google maps because I'm always like planning trips and I was going to drive to Canada, but I'm not anymore. And I'm also working on my personal website. I'm like revamping it with this new episode of ride coming out. I'm kind of just want to like have everything just dialed, you know, and like have my Instagram dialed, my website dialed so people can easily understand who I am and what I do and just, easily just click follow or easily just hire me for a massive job. <laughs> hire me. <laughs> Let's hope it's the latter. Um, and, and we will obviously in the show notes, we'll link to all of that information as well. Um, I want to want to turn to you as a person, Becky, just to finish off here. And you've obviously accomplished some really diverse and impactful things in your life. And so I want to get a sense of that drive to achieve and that drive to do more. Where does that come from for you? Um, boredom. I, (laughs) I honestly, my biggest fear in life is being bored. Like when I'm bored, I go crazy and I get depressed. I like, my mind is so crazy all the time, just going, going, going. And if I don't focus on work or something that I really love, it goes into like a bad place. I guess that's kind of dark, but it's just like, I just can't sit in my house all day. I just can't like, I get bored as fuck. So I just (laughs) got to keep myself going. And one of the ways that I do that is by like creating decks, thinking of ideas of events, being like, oh, fuck it. I might as well do it. It'll just keep my mind going on something good. So I don't know. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just. It's really do it or you die. 
I'll die. Just shrivel up. Yeah. Um, that's pretty morbid. And let's turn to a different question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like you've done so many different things. You've created events, you've, you've created all this um, kind of these content opportunities. You've done so many different things. And I'm sure just through that process, like you face challenges and then you kind of need to be resilient in the face of those challenges. So how have you personally developed resilience? Because I don't want to go get a job. I do not want to have to go apply at a job and then go have an interview and have to like fucking be like, I love working here. Like, let me do all of the work for you. Like, I just do not want to work for a company. Like, I want to work for myself. I want to better myself. Like, I don't know. I just am so not into wasting my whole life, like working for someone else. And lots of people do do that. It just does not work for me. And for a lot of other entrepreneurs too, like, I don't know. I One day I will be sick of hustling and being kind of poor and I will want to go get a job. But then you know what? Then I'll want to get a job and then I will be, have a good attitude about it. But right now, like, I just don't yeah. want to work for those motherfuckers at the offices that think they're fucking cool. And like, oh, I just... just. <laughs> <laughs> So any routines that you have, Becky, that um, maybe allow you to, to do more, get more done? Um, yeah, I need to like go outside every day, go to the gym. I eat really healthy. I like don't eat meat and shit. And that's kind of just like hobbies for me to like, you know, do something more than just work. Um, I definitely focus a lot on my social life and make sure that I have lots of good people around me that like are always influencing me and like support me. I think that's really important, especially in like a creative and freelance realm where you're alone a lot. Um, have other people that understand you. Uh, I try, I like am on my phone all the time and I try to just like, you know, get away from it and go ride. I take a lot of breaks, but then not too long of breaks or else then I like kind of drop off. So you always got to kind of like, I'm my own boss, you know, and you really do have to be your own boss. Like every morning when I wake up, I'm like, get up, go on your computer, go to the coffee shop or something like, I don't know, it kind of sucks. It's like 24-7, just always, yeah, and you have to maintain that mentally or you'll go crazy, so. What's the best book that you've read recently? Um, I just read Paddle to the Amazon. It's about this like father and two sons from Winnipeg that paddle a canoe to the mouth of the Amazon River. And it takes them like almost three years or something like that. I don't even like reading books. I pretty much only like reading like murdering books. So this book like for real got me wrapped up in it. And if you're from Canada, it's like really cool. These guys do some crazy shit. It makes me realize like, you know, I'm not, I can do anything. If these guys can do that shit, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be good just putting on like one event, you know? (laughs) It's kind of um, stereotypical that people from Manitoba went on a canoeing trip because for those of you that don't know, like, I think that's all there is to do in Manitoba (laughs) is canoe. Hell yeah. um, looking Looking back on maybe like the last year, what is the most important thing that you've learned personally that you think could massively impact the listeners out there? I think it's definitely okay to like change your mind. And, you know, I feel like I just am such a, 
I'll focus on one thing so hard. And if it doesn't really work out that good, or I don't fit in with it, I feel so just like I failed, you know, but looking back on my life, like all these things I said with the snowboarding, with working in an office, all that stuff, like it's the failure that made me be where I am now. And like those realizations of like, this isn't for me that like where I am now. And like, you really got to figure out where, what is right for you and your specific personality, you know, whether you have a good one or a shitty one, it doesn't even matter. You know, it's like, you just got to figure out what works for you and trying a new thing is not a bad thing. It's like, go for it. If it fails, then that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I think failure is so hard to deal with. And that's the, probably one of the hardest things that I've had to, to learn how to deal with is like, you try something new and then you kind of don't get that response that you're looking for and learning how to change and grow and push through that is, is not intuitive. Yeah. So I want to finish off with just one last question, Becky, and I'm asking for some vulnerability from you to, to kind of um, be honest. And at, so in our weekly stride meetings, it's a, a group of business owners and we, we get together for an hour, 6am on Monday mornings. And we, wow. like we set goals and we reflect. You guys are psycho. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we're messed up. Um, yeah. And, and so we talk about like our goals and, and we reflect on our challenges and successes and, and we kind of learn from each other. And then the, the last part of our meeting is one person every week has the opportunity to say, this is what I think is holding me back from even higher levels of success. So like, this is my blind spot. And then after they've done that, we go around the room and we really like drill down to what is that thing or things that are holding back that person from higher levels of success? And so I want to turn that question to you. And I want to ask you, what do you think right now is holding you back from even higher levels of success? Um, I think I definitely will like get wrapped up in things that aren't work related, like relationships with like dudes or whatever. That's always a tough one where, you know, you want to be in a relationship, but at the same time, you're like, I think this is like not helping me with my career. And it's a tough one. Cause like, you want to have that social life and you want to have those supporters, but like, what, what's like, how, how big do you want to make it? And like, how much do you really have to focus on that one thing? And I do realize like when I'm in a relationship, I'm not as focused on, on my shit as that I want to be. Um, So I guess you just got to find the right person for you to kind of be your sidekick or you be theirs. But, uh, I think also like in my industry, lots of brands still aren't, aren't seeing the, lots of brands aren't seeing that women are still like such an asset to their companies. And that is still changing all the time. And like lots of brands don't support me and the other women in the industry that do what I do, they aren't supporting the way that they should. Um, in order to continue to have women in the industry, it all goes full circle. Like if I'm influencing women to ride, women are going to buy your shit. So you should be supporting me. And this, when you don't, that means I'm going to have to go get a job, go drive Uber, work at Tim Hortons or something. And that's (laughs) a lot of people that aren't going to be influenced to like go to an event that I put on or like start riding bikes or something. And like, I think brands really do need to see the value in, in influencers, um, whether it's on social media or just like sponsorships and stuff. Like it, it's really important to keep the culture going literally. And it goes for a lot of, a lot of industries too. 
Well, with that said, Becky, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us. And you're someone that has achieved really remarkable things across a wide variety of um, businesses and avenues. And so um, I just want to say thank you so much for sitting down with us today and for taking this time. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Sorry. I'm like so um, aggro sometimes, but that's kind of just like how I am. And thanks for having me on the show. If any of you guys want to ever talk about bikes or like do any content stuff, hit me up. (laughs) And we will link to all of Becky's social media platforms in our show notes, um, as well as uh, in the description of this podcast. So Becky, thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Becky, you can find her personally on Instagram at actually it's Axel, A-X-E-L, at the dream role, at wise spirits, and on her website, actually it's Axel.com. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator. And find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.